Welcome to Standout Life, a podcast dedicated to living boldly amongst the busyness. My name's Ali Hill, and as a psychologist, I love asking people questions. And I thought, what better way to do this than to get the people I admire into a studio to share their stories? This podcast is our corner of the world where all of us can dive deep into what it takes to live a standout life. Today's guest is a bundle of energy, energy that oozes out through the microphone. Her story of transformation is insightful and full of wisdom. Fiona Redding recognises that for many years she was running from life and she basically used every strategy possible to get away from her life, including running to other countries, being caught up in relationships that just weren't right, and a drinking habit that became chronic. It was only when she realised that she couldn't run anymore with the arrival of two kids and the realisation that there was more to life that she made the decision to quit drinking for good and finally took charge. In this conversation, we unpack all of the strategies that Fiona used and continues to use to live her best life, from meditation to journaling to exercising to connecting with a community. And whilst these all sound easy and straightforward, they are some of the hardest things that you will commit to and require a daily choice. Her dedication to her life transformation also comes out in the work that she does. Fiona is the founder of The Happiness Hunter, She's a co-host of Business Addicts podcast and the author of The Happiness Hunter's Guide to Meditation. We tackle the hard things and the challenges of navigating life in this chat and in a way that will leave you at least asking the question, how good could my life actually be? Soak up the wisdom and the warmth that is Fiona Redding. Fiona, welcome. Thank you for having me, Ali. Great to be hanging out with you. And you are the happiness hunter. So I have to ask, how happy are you this morning? I'm actually feeling <laughs> amazing this morning. Thanks, Ali. Yeah, awesome. feeling really good. Thank awesome. you. There's so much of your story that I can't wait to unpack. And and I just think there's so many synergies around um, the types of things that I talk about, around how do people really step up and stand out? How do you get true to who you are? What? But I want to go back and kind of almost start with your career. What kind of work did you get into when you when you left school? What did you want to be? Oh, so this is this is actually such a big part of the story, and it's very interesting that you've asked this question because this is actually I'm currently writing another book at the moment, and this is kind of this whole bit has to come into it because I've been talking about really the happiness hunter from five years ago, but actually the happiness hunter started. 100 years ago. Do you know what I mean? So it's actually just because it started particularly on this date, didn't start then. So I, um, I'm going to go back just a tiny little bit. So I was really good at school. Like I was an excellent student, but I was also um, a bit of a rat bag as well. And I got in quite a lot of trouble. I got suspended and um, sort of behaved in ways that were not to my best of benefit um, as a teenager. And I actually... Um, did really well in year 12 and got into uh, public relations at university, but I actually really wanted to do journalism. And I got into this PR course and I just didn't like it. And I didn't I didn't want to be there. I, I, I don't know. I just sort of felt like I'd done, done this thing at high school and then I was thrown out into the world, which I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this. And I was doing this thing and I just, I didn't know my place in the world. I, I was very unhappy. I didn't really understand who I was. I just didn't know what the future held for me. And I remember just feeling quite fearful about that. Anyway, I dropped out of uni and I went and worked full-time at McDonald's as a manager because I'd been working there part-time. And just my life kind of just went, 
into a real downward spiral, I suppose, that I'd sort of been on this trajectory upwards when I was in high school and then I just sort of fell into a heap in a way, I suppose. And that pattern played itself out several times through my adult life and I've only really had the realisation and the awareness of it recently. And so I then decided that it would be a good idea to go overseas. So I went overseas and um, just worked... Um, as doing PA, EA kind of work. I was very lucky that I sort of landed reasonably good jobs. And I ended up working um, for a management consultancy and it was a startup and it was in the dot-com, you know, that really exciting dot-com time in the late 90s, about 1999. And I was working for this startup and we were recruiting all of these kids coming out of university and they were going out into this big wide world and we had this hot house where we were like looking at... um, um, people's business ideas. They were kind of sort of the tech business ideas were coming in and we were deciding whether to finance them and stuff. And I was literally the EA to the MD. And I was watching all these people around me, just their careers were just taking off. And I was booking flights and, you know, doing typing. And and I was just like, oh, this is, this is not how it's meant to be. Like, I'm not meant to be sitting in this position in my life, you know. How am I here? I'm I'm smart and I've got potential. How did, how did I end up here? So I actually decided, my boyfriend and I at the time, we moved back to New Zealand from England and I started studying at Otago University and I literally just enrolled. I thought, I was 25 and I thought, if I'm going to actually make anything of my life, I need a qualification. I'd seen that in the work environment that I was in my last job in the UK. So I started back at uni and then we separated. You know, it was all this, you know, drama in my life. And then I moved back to Melbourne and managed to get cross over my course into a degree in international studies at RMIT. And someone was really looking after me to get me into that course because it's a very difficult course to get into. But I think they just kind of almost in a way took pity on me, but it wasn't pity. It was actually, I think they could see my drive and passion to do what I wanted to do. And they found a place for me on that course. So I worked full-time and studied full-time for three years. And then I decided at the end of that, got off at honours And um, at that stage, I was working at Victoria Police doing project management work and got offered honours, decided I wasn't going to take the honours. No, no, I'm going to go back to England because why not? You know, and at that stage, I was in a relationship and it wasn't really going anywhere and I didn't have the guts to leave the relationship. So I just thought, I'll just leave leave the the country. country. (laughs) You know, and that pattern exactly has played out again and again and again in my life. Anyway, so then I ended up back over in the UK had jobs that I really wasn't that satisfied in and I'd got this great degree in international studies and I was, wasn't was using my degree in any way, shape or form. Anyway, then I fell, I was there for two years and I fell pregnant um, quite unexpectedly with my first child and their dad and I no longer together, we're separated, I've got two children, um, but I decided to move back to Australia and... So I was like 32 at this stage. Like this is literally my career to this day. It was just this hodgepodge of just running away from things and trying to make things work and nothing sort of working. But obviously the tenacity to just oh. whatever you're doing, give it give it all, yeah. but it wasn't quite right. No, because I had no purpose and I had no vision and, you know, I was just kind of drifting along in life, just going, when is my adult life going to work, you know? <laughs> anyway, so I came back to Australia. It was in 2008. It was during the GFC, five months pregnant. I think I got one day temping doing filing somewhere because nobody, you know, I was pregnant and I couldn't get work. And then I basically had my two kids, was really in an unhappy relationship and things just kind of just, it was like this pattern that had occurred during my life 
all the way through. It just kind of presented itself and there was no, I had I had nowhere to run anymore. There was nowhere to go. I had two kids. We had no money. I had a drinking problem. I was in an unhappy relationship. I was like, what am I going to do? You like, couldn't pack your bags and go back to England no, or overseas no. like you had in the past. <laughs> no, I couldn't just run away. You know, I'd just run away from all of my problems up until this point. There was had nowhere to run. Had you recognised that at that time? Or is that Previously? Something? Yeah. No, no. It was just like oh, I, I thought, oh, you know, look at me, you know, big and going out in the world and, you know, I'm going out and, you know, seeing what's ahead of me rather than actually recognising that it was running away from what, you know, I sort of mm. was just in a bit of a cloud and deluded cloud with the whole thing. So anyway, that's basically what happened. And I had I had um, really tried to look for work after I'd had the two kids and I just wanted something part-time meaningful work that was kind of in alignment with the sort of work that I'd been doing, which I didn't really enjoy, by the way, up until that point. And, you know, people saying, oh, why don't you just go and get a job at chemist or at the supermarket or just get something? And I'm like, no, I've just, I just can't do that again. Like I can't live my life like that in a job that I'm not happy with. Like I'm unhappy everywhere in my life and I don't want to go into work in a work environment to um, experience that again. So that was sort of where the seed of starting my own business came from um, because I couldn't I couldn't find work. It was really interesting. Yeah, right. So all of a sudden there was there was work out there but not the work. Yeah, but I couldn't even get I was wanted. I was sending off applications for jobs and I wasn't even getting like responses for them because my belief system, you know, and so this is what I actually came to understand later. It was like, well, if I don't believe I'm worth it and I don't believe I can have it, I'm never going to have it. So that was getting in the way. Yeah. So, but I didn't realise that till later. Do you have a sense, and just going back a little bit, a sense of what you were running away from? Yeah, myself, basically. (laughs) And, you know, wherever we are, wherever we go, there we are. And so for me, it was, you know, part of the running away was, you know, I had a very serious drinking problem for most of my adult life and most of my teens. And of course, I was in complete denial about that. You know, it was fun. It was social. It was all the rest of it. But Is that how it had started? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think for me, it was really just about, um, you know, not being able to acknowledge my emotions. And so, and I think that's true for a lot of people in any kind of destructive behaviour, whether it's alcohol or drugs or shopping or food or sex or whatever, any kind of, you know, negative behaviour that has a negative impact on us is literally just about not being able to deal with ourselves and our emotions. So we numb ourselves so we don't have to deal with that. But of course, what happens then is we just are living completely on the surface of our lives and we the never emotions really don't go away, do they? they? Don't go away. <laughs> and they and then of course what happened for me was it kind of all sort of I guess imploded or exploded or something at a um in late two thousand and twelve, early two thousand and thirteen. And I was just like, I cannot go on like this. I was can't. there a defining moment? Yeah, there was a few things that actually happened. So I went on a skydive. Um, so I sort of started my business in September 2012 and I went and did a skydive as part of a charity fundraiser thing. And um, I just remember I was so, so anxious about it and I'd promised myself I wasn't going to drink the night before so I wasn't hungover. And, of course, I woke up in the morning and I was hungover and I went and did this dive and I had got a really bad anxiety attack in the plane. And, anyway, I was just going up the plane with this guy, strapped to this guy called Mike, and there was four or five guys in the plane that we were jumping with, so we were all sort of tandem jumping. And these guys were just laughing and having the best time and I was chatting to the guy Mike behind me because I'd just started my own business and I asked him, you know, if he had his own business and he said, yeah, this is what he does, he just contracts into this and he was just saying how much he loved it and then he gets to jump out of a plane five times a day and he gets paid for it, you know, and he was just having such a great time with other people in the plane and with all the 
other people parachuting and I just landed on the ground and I thought, like, I didn't die and I just thought, I want that life, you know. I, these guys love their life. Like, everything they are doing, they love. They're getting paid to do work they love. They're hanging out with people that are interested and interesting and they're doing – they just love their life. And I was like, I just want to love my life like they did. And I realised then how much I didn't love my life. I really – just didn't, I was not enjoying the experience of my life at all. You know, none of it. I had these two beautiful children and, you know, I just, I felt like I was um, so not being the person that I had the potential to be. I just had this deep awareness of that. So that was in November. In December, I really started talking seriously with my partner at the time. I said, you know, I think this isn't working. And then that sort of threw up a whole lot of other stuff. And then in early January, I just decided I needed to stop drinking and, you know, by this stage it had become extremely problematic and... What sort of things had it impacted on for you? Oh, everything. Like I just was, hung, I was so hungover every day and I was like, you know, it was getting to like 3.34 and I was cracking open a bottle of wine and then I would literally drink all night and I was getting resentful of having to get the kids dinner and it was having a really negative effect on my health and... I just I just kind of had this vision of this like future life this trajectory and I was like this is really bad where I'm going and there was one time where um you know I I was just getting really angry with the kids all the time and I was feeling so frustrated and down on myself and there was this one time when I went into the liquor cabinet and I pulled out the bottle of whiskey and I sculled it and I was like this is really bad like this is not okay, you know. So there was stuff that was starting to happen like mm. that where um, I was just like, this is, like, bad what's going on here. So I actually decided... Had there been other people that had kind of... Because one of the things about particularly drinking at home yep. and in our culture is, yep. you know, end of a work day, you do have a glass of wine yep. to just unwind and that glass of wine can turn into two or three yep. and it's quite social with your yep. partner or your spouse or your friend. Um, and... That's you know it's kind of part of that kind of culture as well. But what you're describing is yeah. is next level. Next <laughs> like level. It was going. It level. was well and truly into the next level. Had you you know before this kind of defining moment, you'd obviously seen, hey, this is not particularly great, but it's also. It's but of course, okay. I think what, yeah, and what happens is we hang around people that that. In, in, enable that behaviour almost in a way. And so everything that you do socially involves alcohol. And, you know, my partner at the time, he drank a lot as well. So, you know, we were kind of encouraging each other almost or enabling each other almost in a way just through our actions. And so I think that has a huge part. And I think there's a huge conversation around our culture as well and, you know, drinking and, and that sort of thing. And, you know, with a really passing no judgment here because it's not my position to sit here and judge in any way, shape or form. But I just think, you know, like say, for example, down the bottle shop, you now get two bottles of wine for with the price of one, you know. So people are buying two bottles of wine. They've got two bottles of wine at home. And the other thing is also too, this conversation that we have, you know, oh, you know I've had such a stressful day, I need to have a drink. Mm. And this is happening in front of our kids. So, you know, my drinking habits were learnt at home by parents that liked to drink, you know, but that was in the days where you'd have a cask of wine yes. and the bottle shop shut, it, you know, it just, there wasn't the same access to yeah. alcohol and there wasn't the same kind of normalisation of this excessive drinking either. So, you know, my drinking, I don't think, I mean, it was extremely excessive, but it wasn't abnormal in our culture. You know, and what I was doing was what a lot of other women are doing. Mine had just got to the next level. Yeah. So I imagine that that would have required, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, in that moment of realisation, it was quite an individual thing. It was a, it was you 
having to face yourself. Yeah. And yeah, and so what actually happened was I'd sort of seen this situation where um, I was looking at my partner at the time and, you know, and I, I love him dearly. We have an amazing relationship now, but actually seeing him and feeling, being so angry at him and judging him for what he was doing. And it was like this light bulb went off in my head and I was just like, that's me. I do. That's me. That could be me. He could be standing here looking at me sitting on the couch like that. And that was such a humbling moment where I actually just thought, you know, if I want my life experience to change, I am the one that has to change. Stop pointing the finger at everybody else needing to change and actually going, well, I'm not happy. So what am I going to do about that? Honestly, like, what am I going to do about that? What different action am I going to take to enable a different reality to become my experience? And I found this, um, another thing that actually happened when I sort of was looking and decided that I needed to change, I'd found these goals that I'd written. And this is something I'd only done, I'd never done it before in my life, that these goals that I'd written earlier that year. And one of my goals, I'm not joking, this is a goal, was to drink uh, two to three days a week one to two glasses, like I was setting all these rules around drinking and the the mental energy that was involved in deciding whether I was going to have a drink, what time I was going to have a drink. I was was just so tired of it. I was so tired of it. And I was really concerned for my kids and the the role modelling that was happening for them at home, recognising that both of their parents had grown up in families that consumed a lot of alcohol, they were now being brought up in a family that both parents were consuming a lot of alcohol, the likelihood that that was going to be their adult life was probably about 100%. And I didn't want that. And I was like, well, if I don't want that, what am I going to do differently? So I decided to stop drinking and I literally stopped drinking. And that was the beginning of this most glorious, I literally just stopped drinking. I just said, I've I've had enough. And I stopped. And this amazing life has just, is unfolding for me now. Was it so obviously that catalyst to just make the call, and it's easier just to say I'm not having it at all than trying to figure yeah. out do I have it on Monday, do I have it on yeah. Wednesday? I've got a party on the weekend because yeah. <laughs> it's exhausting. It's actually exhausting, right. especially if you've got a problem with it. And it's yep. the same as like if you've you're trying to diet and you make all these rules around it. It's just like just eat healthy food. Yeah. Like if you want to lose weight, just eat healthy food. Don't go on a diet. Just exercise more and eat healthy food. So you actually rather than and denying yourself, like I never felt like I was ga- ga- giving anything up. I was like, what am I gaining? Like, what am I going This life is so unacceptable. There can only be good things that come if I remove this major issue that I've got. And of course, two weeks after I stopped drinking, I left my partner. So the whole, my whole world just, it was like, there was no known in my world anymore. And... From, I was about to ask because yeah. it's one thing to make that decision, but then what you're confronted with yeah. is everything you've been numbing yourself yeah. from. Yeah, and it was like literally within this two weeks, I was like, I don't think I can stay in this environment and do what I need to do. Was it, that because of the drinking? or was it um, of- Yeah, because I think um, I sort of my eyes became open and I was like, you know, I'm really serious about, you know, taking this full responsibility for my life and becoming living in a loving life and becoming a loving person and doing all of that. And I just didn't know in the environment, in that situation I was in, in the relationship I was in, that I was going to be able to do that in that environment. And so I was like, well, if I'm really serious about this, I've got to take this very seriously. You know, I need to be supported and in what I'm doing and I can support myself in that. Like I'm, I'm able to do that. So um, I mean, I would, certainly would not recommend anybody to leave their partner. I don't think that's ever the answer. But at that stage of my life, from where I was with what I had, it was, I just couldn't see that there was another way. And now 
knowing what I know now, I don't know if I necessarily would have made that decision, but at the time it was just the best decision I could make. So, mm. so you'd made the decision to quit drinking. What other things did you put into place? Because it, the decision's the first thing, yeah. but it's not the only thing. No. And it's still there. We're still, like you described, we're still in an environment, we're very social. Um, we can... You know, it's the way that we celebrate, right? So even if you go, right, well, I haven't had a drink for six weeks yeah. or I haven't had a drink for three months, um, let me celebrate yeah. with that. Did you have those moments and, and yeah. what else did you do to kind of... It's really interesting. Be... Not once did I ever because I was so relieved. It was like this... This I, I, It was like I'd been released from prison. It honestly is that how... That is how it felt because this thing which had, had taken so much of my mental capacity and had such a n- negative impact on my health and my decision-making and all of those things was gone. And I was like, why would I reintroduce... I couldn't ever see really early on how I could ever reintroduce that. And I'm not saying it was easy to give up drinking. It was very difficult. But what I did was I just decided to focus on the positive and what I was gaining, not what I was giving up. And so I started meditating every day. I started um, regularly exercising. The, the Happiness Hunter Walk sort of came through that. I started really caring about my mind and what I was thinking and what I was putting out into the universe and becoming more aware of what was actually showing up for me. I started taking full responsibility for my life. I stopped complaining. Like, I stopped blaming other people. I was just like, well, I'm here. I take responsibility for it. You know, I chose to give up drinking. I chose to leave my partner. I chose to willingly put myself into this, you know, housing insecurity, financial insecurity. I I put myself here. The best thing about that knowledge was empowerment that I had never experienced in my life through this great adversity, you know, really challenging time in my life that I was living. But it was so, it was such a positive focus because I stopped focusing on all the other rubbish around me and actually just going, well, what what can I do? What's within me? I want to know my potential. I wanted to find that out. So I started reading a lot. I started um, researching a lot. I had no money, like, but, you know, there's so much free resources available. And then um, I found a, a master, like a teacher, a metaphysical master, and I started studying with him. And, you know, I just changed my mind literally about my life. But the meditation, stopping the drinking and then the meditation, that sort of enabled me to sort of understand my thought processes and my belief systems a little bit more and when I was understanding them was able to change them. Had you ever done meditation before? Never. Like last person you'd ever expect. <laughs> That's the thing. Like the last, honestly, because yeah. I just thought I wasn't able to do, no. I, I wasn't that person, you I know. I can't do meditation. I can't do meditation. That's not me. That's for other people, you know, even healing. And I was having Reiki and um, I found someone who's giving me Reiki. You know, like I now, you know, I've been attuned to Reiki. I practice Asian too. You know, I teach meditation, I'm a life coach, all of this stuff. And it's literally just because I allowed myself to become open to another way of being in my life. So I just want to go back to, I mean, that core decision, but more just to help for for listeners if they're going, yeah, yeah, there's something I want to change. And it doesn't have to be as dramatic. dramatic. (laughs) It might be, but sometimes it's just the little things that you go, oh, I know I'm, I'm, if I did less of that or yeah. I did more of this, that would be better. And meditation's a really interesting one because I think it's um there's a there's a lot of airtime around it. Yeah. And there's certainly the research on how powerful, impactful it is on your mental health, on your well being, on relationships and all yep. of that is, is coming through. But it's people go, Yeah, but how do I do it? And yep. where do I fit it in? And yep. I've already got a busy world. So I guess going back to those first couple of months after you'd made that decision and started taking ownership, what were some of the tactics or strategies that really helped you? Was it reaching out to people? Was it, um, was it, yeah, 
Did you just get into meditation? Unpack some of that. Um, so there was a couple of things. One of them was I joined this website called Hello Sunday Morning, um, called HSM, and that was basically when I was Googling, I was like quitting drinking or something like that, and I was like, I didn't want to join AA um, because I didn't want to keep admitting I had a problem. It's like, I don't have a problem. If I stop drinking, there's no problem, you know? Um, so I found this website, HSM, and I found that the support of a community was incredibly support, uh, incredibly important. And that's basically what I've tried to do with the Happiness Hunter is actually build a community where people can actually work on their stuff together, you know, go on walks, come on retreats, whatever, have coaching, but they're part of a community of people who are also on that journey themselves. And it's very positive because that's actually how we get through. And um, so actually really focusing on being positive and contributing positively towards a community, you know, actually giving of myself, you know, so I learned a lot about selfless service and just supporting other people and how beneficial that is for us. You know, when I had nothing, what have I got to give when I've actually got nothing really to give? Well, I've got myself and a kind word and a smile. So I really started focusing on how I was showing up, you know, how how I was being in terms of supporting other people and caring for other people in life. The other thing that I did was um, I started getting up early in the morning and because I'd always been hungover pretty much my whole life, you know, mornings were never really my favourite time of day. So I started getting up really early in the morning and, you know, meditating and taking some time in the morning because my kids got up very early, like six o'clock. So I was having to get up at like five o'clock, really centering myself in the day. And that was incredibly powerful. And it's it's really interesting. The last um, few months I've had a bit of a challenging time just sort of working through some stuff in and I've been in a bit of a growth stage and that always, you know, the upper limit sort of shows up all our stuff and um, sort of, I don't know, it didn't fall quite into a hole, but it wasn't, I was, I could feel myself. I was like, hey, I'm not happy in the direction that I'm going and I'm not feeling my normal upbeat, positive self. So I started implementing all my morning stuff again, you know, the forgiveness, the gratitude journal, really getting clear on my goals and what I wanted to achieve, setting affirmations, meditating, getting up early. And so I started doing my, I don't know if you've heard of it. I first heard of it through Lisa Nichols, but five, four, three, two, one, go. And I've Mel Robbins it. does as well. So it's basically five second rule. So basically your alarm goes off, you go five, four, three, two, one, go. And you yep. get up, you don't think about it. So the first decision that you're making in the day is actually an empowered, positive, conscious decision that I'm actually going to take this day on, this day is not going to take me on. So that really started to help me as well, because what happens when you create that sort of sacred space or sanctuary for yourself in the first thing in the morning, you're literally setting your day up for success. So I started doing that. And of course, and then I had all this time and I felt positive and I was very inspired and I was really utilizing my intuition and I journaled a lot. So I started journaling in the morning. I started journaling in the evening. And the thing is, there's effort that's required for this change. It doesn't just happen. But when you have allow yourself to really step into that feeling of purpose and why and passion, you just do it because you feel better. And it becomes simple and then you feel better. So you want to do more of it. It just, it snowballs. Yeah. That philosophy of it just keeps going. Yeah. But I just want to jump on what you've just said there around it does require effort. And there are plenty of us that would go, yeah, 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 I'm up for that, but I'm so tired. Yeah. I'm so exhausted. Or, you know, I do have to get dinner on the table. I've got to sort that out. The kids have been sick um, or just work's been atrocious. So, yes, but, you know, journaling, meditation, getting up early, all of that sounds great. It just feels like more on mind to I, do this. And I think that's a really, really important point that you raise because the thing is that the change happens incrementally. Like it doesn't happen overnight. But what happens is when you start to live from this way of 
um, genuinely caring about yourself and the quality of your life. You genuinely care. You genuinely want to be the best person you can. You're clear about the person you want to be, the type of mother you want to be, the type of wife you want to be, the type of colleague you want to be, the type of boss you want to be, the, everything. You're clear about everything that you want for your life. Is that through journaling? Like through, getting well, it through, out, that's, that's through, through journaling, through, you know, utilising frameworks, coaching, reading good books. You know, you actually really start to go, well, who is it that I want to be across all the different areas of my life? And, you know, like I've got a framework called the seven elements that we use, and that's about having your vision, your values and your driver. And I call that like your non-negotiable decision-making framework. So you've got to know what what do you want for the experience of your life? Who do you want to be? How do you want to be in your life? What kind of legacy do you want to leave? If you don't know that, how can you ever become that? Like if you don't know who that is and then sort of understanding what being fit and healthy means for you and what does your, what, what does spiritual, um, what, what's important for you spiritually and socially and, and financially and in your working career and in terms of your community involvement and volunteering and fun and fulfilment and your hobbies and like, you've got to know what you want for your life. And then you've got to give yourself permission to go and get it. But, but, you know, as you say before, with those things, you know, the, the, the life stuff that happens, dinner that needs to be made and kids get sick, that's going to happen regardless. But if you've set your life up properly, if you've set your day up properly, if you've structured what you need to do and prioritised it and created the space and the time for that in every day, those things just become things you manage. Then you respond to them, you're not reacting to them because you have built yourself up and you've it built your internal strength and your resilience and all of those things through being disciplined about getting up early in the morning. Self-discipline is self-love. And if you're not going to get up early, or I'm not saying you have to get up at five, but if you're not going to get up early enough in the morning to do what you need to do in the morning before you go to work and start your day, your whole day is doomed for failure because you haven't taken the handle on it. You've, you haven't done what's important. And then you get to the end of the day and you're tired and you're frazzled because you haven't exercised, you haven't meditated, you haven't thought about that you need what the things you need to do today to, to make the day run properly. And so that's actually how you change your life. It's not about fixing it in the moment when you're angry, but actually what are you doing to prevent yourself feeling frustrated and angry with yourself in your life so that you then look at that external input as creating the problem. But actually the problem is because you're not feeling centred and balanced within yourself. So how do I get myself ready for whatever might Yeah, I, 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 I care. Or, so you're not a morning person, do, do your rituals in the evening, but it's about those habits and rituals and they just become second nature and they... You know, before you said you feel amazing, it's like, yeah, my alarm went off at five o'clock this morning. Five, four, three, two, one, go. I got up, I meditated for an hour, did a bit of prayer, did some affirmations, got all my goals out, you know, like, what do I need to achieve today? Did some exercises. You know, that was all done by like quarter to seven. Got my kids breakfast. We had a really nice morning. Um, did some, played a bit with my kids, got my kids lunch. We, they got ready. I had a shower, blow dried my hair. You know, got in the car, got the kids to school by nine, stopped and got a coffee, came here, like... Got clients this afternoon. I know what we're having for dinner tonight. Like, it's because I just take a little bit of extra time and care in actually planning through my life and my day. And I, it's just non negotiable that I get up and do it. I just, it's not even a discussion in my head. It's just like, get up. Because if you don't get up, I've practiced it. I've practiced the not getting up bit, and I know which days work better. Right. So you run your own experiment. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so it's actually see. about, yeah. And, and, you know, every day I still wake up and I'm so grateful when I wake up. I'm grateful. I say thank you every day. And I'm still grateful a lot of days that I wake up and I don't have a hangover. You know, I'm still, not that I'm looking at it from, it's just I'm so grateful that I wake up and feel good. I'm just grateful. I'm grateful. 
And the attitude of gratitude, honestly, it is transformational. Oh, the re- and again, the research that's coming out I around know. the healing. And it, it feels like the soft, fluffy stuff, the really um, woo-woo can, kind of stuff, but it, it absolutely makes a difference. You know, it, it, it really does. And, the, you know, the other thing is also too, like if I look back, um, you know, over the last five years in terms of the transformation, like I've got a, a national business. Like I have brand awareness nationally with The Happiness Hunter. I've got a podcast. We, you know, just um, were finalists in the um, Australian Podcast Awards in the business and marketing category. Like this stuff didn't happen by accident. It was very intentional. Like it's, I've taken control of my destiny. I've taken, you know, ownership of my life. I'm taking responsibility for my daily actions. And that's a daily thing. I have to be vigilant with that. But it's so much better. And this is what I teach everybody. It's like, you know, that was my life before. But all I changed, I just decided to change how I was approaching my life and what I was doing on a daily basis in my life, not on a weekly basis or a monthly basis, but a daily basis. Don't know. be overwhelmed by the big stuff. No, just it's what can all, I do right no, here? what can I do right here? And what is important? I need to exercise every day. I need to meditate every day. I need to make sure I'm eating good food every day. I need to make sure I'm loving my kids every day. I need to make sure that I'm, you know, doing something to expand my mind every day. You know, they're basic things, but that's the priority. And for me to be able to do them, I've got to get up early in the morning. So it's one thing to actually change your life. It's a whole other thing to start a business around it. (laughs) But it was an accident. (laughs) Tell me about this accident. Yeah, so, well, then, you know, I sort of explained earlier on about my sort of career path and I was like, well, what am I going to do? Like, I can't get work. You know, this is ridiculous. What am I going to do? I was like, well, let's think more laterally about it. Like, what are the what are the things I can do, the actions, you know, the skill set that I've got? And I was like, okay, I can do planning and I can do facilitation and I can, I was like, okay, I'm going to be a business consultant. That's what I'm going to do. So I started this business called Vivacity Consulting, which nearly broke me. Vivacity. Vivacity Consulting, yeah. choosing the name. And then um, that became Business with Vivacity, became Fit for Biz, became The Happiness Hunter. So it sort of evolved. I've had three or four websites, you know, like it's been a complete just going with what felt right at the Why time. Why did that need to change? Was it because not right? Because it, it was, wasn't feeling right. It didn't feel right. So I was doing this business consulting and then that turned into business coaching because I was networking and then meeting people and then they were just like, can you help me with my business strategy? And I was like, yeah. And then I started doing this deep work on myself from sort of early 2013. I sort of stepped on, stopped the drinking and then probably mid-2013 I really, really started the inner work and that's been going consistently since then. And I started these happiness hunter walks and I just started talking to people about what I was doing. And I realized the business coaching that I was doing was never about the business. You know, it was about the people in the business, getting their mindset right, you know, helping them with their vision for their whole life, not just their business. So focusing on the business. And it's this, then this idea of life integration came up with this um, guy called Paul O'Brien, which is basically, um, it's not about work-life balance because that's sort of pitting your life against your work and it's all your life. So it's this idea of life integration and that was sort of what I was talking about with that visioning exercise before. And so I just started teaching about what I was um, learning myself and applying in my own life, talking to people about it. And then they were like, can you run a retreat? Can you do this? Can you do that? And then I started an online program and that kind of nearly broke me again, putting that together. But it's this amazing program. And so, and then, you know, now I'm doing corporate stuff. So I'm doing vision work workshops, visioning workshops with corporates it's just kind of evolved because I was just so clear about what I was doing. But I think most importantly, the results of what I was applying 
and doing and what that has meant for me physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, socially, what it's meant for my business, what it's meant for the podcast. Like it's not woo-woo. It's not light and fluffy stuff. It's real stuff. And the more we can actually just apply these little daily actions into our lives, the you know, the whole world is our mirror. It's universal laws, law of attraction and stuff. The better I feel, the more good I feel within myself, the more positive I am, the more hopeful I am, the more self-belief I have, the better opportunities I'm attracting and the greater I'm able to show up and present and act on those opportunities almost in a way. Yeah, you're really interesting. And even um, diving into some of the research before our conversation, yeah. there's um, there's a real melding of the work that you do between business, which we often see as being rational, analytical, yep. um, and then the the happiness hunter, yep. uh, which you know, kind of we you know, can often be described as soft woo woo. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's hard. It's, it's actually some of the hardest things. It you is can hard. Do it is that. hard. And the the more you do, and that's what I was sort of saying as well. I think being able to now say, look, I've built a nationally recognised business, a nearly award-winning podcast, you know, this is not light and fluffy. This is real stuff. And I don't work a huge amount, really. Like, I spend a lot of time on the stuff that's important for me. You know, my kids go to school. I'm a single mum, so I go for a walk every day during the day. So when how much would you work? Um, well, I'm, it really depends. It's so, your own business. You're yeah, always working. But. You're always working. And I think also too, I've gotten to the point now where I've created a lot of the stuff and it's literally just about the business development and the marketing. And, you know, that's pushing me in, in more uncomfortable areas as well because I don't like being visible. You know, I, that, that there's I've got some fears around that. So I'm doing a lot of work on that at the moment because that's what's showing up. And I think part of what this is as well and part of that whole thing about being in business is that we are constantly being pushed <laughs> beyond and outside of our comfort zones. And that's the best thing. And I think business is the best personal development exercise ever, ever. Like there is nothing better because you constantly, you know, you're reliant on this thing for your income. You have, you know, you have to make it work. Oh, absolutely. And I agree with that, I think. And your self-worth is tied into yeah. whether the business is going and well and you're women, amazing and yep. if it's going down, then I'm shit. Yeah, but but also too, when it is going down, you know, having the, the tools and the strategies, you know, like we've been talking about to actually use to dig deep and to go, you know what, I've just got to focus because that's what I was saying. I had a really, really tricky time after I'd published this book. It, it really pushed me in. I don't even know. I mean, why? It's it's so silly. It's just it's it's not true. The belief systems, but you know, our ego it can be so powerful. And what came up for you? A lot of stuff around being an imposter and who was I to be writing this book? And I didn't know what I was talking about. You know, this negative self talk. And you know, I was really working hard to um, overcome that. But of course, you know, I did sort of let. I guess I stopped being so vigilant. I started listening to that voice and stopped, you know, doing the stuff that I knew was going to keep me going through that. What were your signs that that was starting to happen? What What do you notice to pay attention to when you start to feel a bit overwhelmed or those? Yeah, so I feel I find um, I don't cope as well in terms of my managing my emotional state. Like I get a little bit more angry. Um, I I procrastinate. I don't take action on things. Um, I. It shows up for me in terms of, you know, clients sort of dry up a little bit, you know, like it really, it has an impact and it doesn't always happen immediately. It happens sort of, there's always a bit of a time lag. So then that happens and that, you know, you can sort of go into that downward spiral. But what I did, I remembered, um, have you heard of Pam Grout and E-squared? Nice. Okay. So it's nine energetic experiments. It's one of the first books I read when I back, back, back way in the day five years ago and also read The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks, which I'm sure you're aware of. Anyway, Pam Grout. 
she has this thing, it's like about asking better questions. So we always say, you know, how can I make more money or um, where can I get new clients from or, you know, how did I get to be so fat? How come I'm always broke or whatever? They're not positive questions. They're not putting the right energy out there. So she's like, ask better questions. And one of the questions is, what marvellous thing might I create today, you know? So I was like, okay, I've got to go back to basics, my basics, basics, Mm. basics. And I wrote a list of new affirmations and I wrote my glorious life up the top and, you know, that was one of them. And it was, you know, how did I get to be such a powerful force for great abundance? And, you know, what marvellous opportunities are going to come my way today or, you know, what wonderful doors are going to open for me today or what powerful action can I take today? And really started asking much better questions. And over the last couple of months, things are just kind of moving because I just was, I'm not going to focus on feeling bad. I'm just going to focus on any everything I can do to help myself feel better because I know that by doing that, I'm going to go on the upward cycle, you know? Yeah. Yep. Language so, is so powerful. So and we're, powerful. we're often not standing at the door of the language that we use. Internally, let alone It's the mental, yeah, Yeah. so the thought processes. And the other thing is as well, you know, and I'm sure this is true for a huge amount of your listeners, is, you know, the money blocks and that sort of thing. And, you know, I have been, like, literally when I left my partner, the bank account got closed down. I literally had access to no money. Like, I had literally completely pinched off the flow of any abundance into my life. And, you know, so through that I had to appreciate what I had and really look for the good, you know, and I started looking at, you know, I just so grateful I didn't live in Syria and, you know, my kids and I were safe. I was so grateful that I lived in a country where I could leave my partner and not be stoned to death. I was so grateful that I lived in a country that had Centrelink that was going to catch me eventually. I had a car I could sleep in if I needed to. I had family that could put me up. I just shifted my focus. And I think that helped me so much turn everything around. But the other day, a few months ago, I was out walking and, you know, I was trying to work out, and I'm sure we can all relate to this, where you go, I'm going to move money from here to here to here to here. How am I going to do this? You know, so is this, and I'd been for a walk and I realised the whole walk, I'd been going through my mind about how I was going to move money to pay. And I was just like, that, I'm, I, I, you know, I thought I was aware of my thought processes, but that's been going on. So how long has that been going on for? And I haven't even been aware of it. it sort of came up to my awareness. So that was when I was like, okay, I've just got to stop even thinking about it and just going, right, focusing on the abundance, focusing on the flow, did a new vision board. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a whole lot of stories I could tell you about vision boarding. It's so powerful. It's and manifestation and, and all that stuff, but it starts in our mind. And if we can't get our thoughts right, you know, our, our, what we comes out of our mouth is a signpost and our emotional state is a signpost, but that unconscious thinking that we've got going on that we're not even aware of, that's where we need to start to address that and that's where meditation helps because if we're not mastering what is going on in our heads, we can't fix our lives. So even for the listeners, I can imagine just in pure practicality um, is just stop and pay attention. Yeah. Like and what what Pause. is it that's going on this week? What are you what are yeah. you thinking? What's consuming? What's yeah. What's and that's the journaling. Open, yeah, and get it out. Yeah. And and okay. it can okay. be unedited. Yeah. No one needs to read it. You yeah. don't even need to read it again. It just find a space to get it and out. And what that starts to do is that then you can then and you're open, you will start to come up with the solutions to those problems. Your intuition will start to kick in. You'll just get um, inspiration for things and 
you can just take inspired action and, you know, just do that next best thing that feels good and not go into the logical, should I be doing this? Does this make sense? But you just go, it feels good and I'm feeling good. So I'm just going to do it. And I know that by taking that action, doors are going to open and I have no attachment to the outcome from that action. So writing down how I'm feeling, talking to a trusted friend, talking to a confidant, you know, um, if you need to have some therapy or counselling, go and get that, get a coach, like get a mentor, get a guide in your life is going to help you propel you yourself forward. You know, you don't know, none of us are meant to be doing this on our own. (laughs) None of us are meant to be doing this on our own. There are people out there. And and even what you described before around, you know, being grateful and grateful that you've got a car to sleep in. Like this is not, this is hard stuff. Yeah. Um, And it's not, not discrediting or hiding away from the life is tough yeah. and brutal and survival mode kicks into gear and especially when you've got kids yeah. especially when you've got the you know financial pressures finance is such a um such a stressor in so yeah. many relationships and so many homes and we need but to be it, able to talk about it we do but also recognizing if we don't happy about it we can change it by changing the way we're thinking about it by changing the actions by changing that what we're talking about if you're, you're constantly affirming i'm always broke can't afford it you're going to be always broke and not being able to afford it because you're not going to be able to see any of the abundance that you actually have it's so interesting. It's so, when you really start delving into it, it is so interesting. But the other thing I think is so important is keeping perspective. Like we are so lucky. <laughs> we are so lucky and we are so bloody ungrateful and we've got no idea how lucky we are. And most people in the world don't have access to an, a, ninth, a ninth of what we've got. Like you know, we've got heating, we've got electricity, we've got running water, we've got access to, you know, people complain about Medicare. We've got access to medical care. You know, if you really need medical care, you can get it. We've got a good education system. You know, we have, I know, you know, there's discussions around gender equality and stuff, but really as women, we are, we are pretty lucky and we are pretty safe. And yes, there's always room for improvement, but we've just got to appreciate how lucky we are. We are so lucky to just be alive. And there are resources out there. It's that recognition of yeah. what is it that we can start to put out there. I want to change tack just a little bit because I can see, and obviously even just through your conversations, a huge amount of energy <laughs> and a lot of uh, inspiration for what you what you do and what's ahead of you. And you started to describe even right now as you sit here that you're on a bit of a trajectory of growth, that there's opportunities, that that, that mindset shift means that stuff's coming at you. Yeah. And there can be times in our life where all of it is good, but it's still busy. Yeah. There's a lot coming and it's it's a little bit of that, um, it's not quite careful what you wish for, but it can shift into, yeah, now like where's that tipping point of, hey, I'm excited and, you know, business is going really well. The podcast that you're doing is going exceptionally well. Yeah. Um, and, you know, to be recognised for that award is, is incredible and, there's it can be more that can be done around that and more to do. Yeah. And we can wake up one morning going, There's a lot on my plate. Yeah. <laughs> How do you navigate the busyness amongst the stuff that you love doing? So it's a really, really good question. And I think it, it does actually go back to you have to understand what you want for your life and what's important and what your values are and how you want to be living and, and what you want the, a day to look like for yourself. And so you actually then start to make decisions that support that life. So you're not taking on too much that you can't 
deliver on. Being able to reprioritise and reprioritise is incredibly important. Just knowing what is important and what can, you know, be let to slide a little bit. And, you know, like, so say, for example, when I was first starting my business and, you know, so I had financial issues and time issues because I had these two little kids and I was trying to work, you know, and I was like, what? okay, so what are my goals around the kids on a daily basis? And I was like, I want to spend half an hour with each of them each day. And they, you know, need to have dinner at a certain time or whatever. But, you know, I was really forgiving of myself and dinner could be baked beans on toast with some chopped up carrot sticks. That was an acceptable dinner because, A, I didn't have the money to buy any other food and, B, I just I was so focused on getting this business going because I knew it was my ticket out. I was like, you know, where, how do I prioritise what's important in a day? But also too, I think as well, understanding, so I've got the seven elements framework and it's actually about life integration and understanding what your priorities are and your goals are recognising where you are and what your priorities are for moving forward. And there was this incidence where um, I was, my kids were at creche and they asked me to be part of the fundraiser, uh, part of the board as a fundraiser. And I said, can't do the board. I actually can't do the board because it's evenings and all the rest of it. I said, but I'll do two IC fundraiser and I'll organise the sausage sizzles. And they said that would be great. Anyway, I don't know if you've ever organised a sausage sizzle, but it's not a little job. Like it's actually a quite a big job and there's a full day of running around beforehand. Then you've got to be there for the whole day on the day. Anyway, so I did it because I'd said I was going to do it. It was pretty stressful because I couldn't do work on the Friday, you know. So I was I was giving up potential income to do this. And I got an email from the creche basically saying, oh, here's a list of 30 local businesses can you contact them for the silent auction? And I burst into tears and I was like, no, no, I can't, I can't do that. And I just, I had to stop and I had to go, hang on a minute. I could just cried because I got an email. This is a bit overwhelming. What's actually going on here? And I thought, you know, I can't do that. I said what I could do. Then I can't get angry with them. They're just, of course, they're asking other parents to help. I'm not going to take this personally, but I need to go, what are my priorities? And I actually worked out my first priority was me. Like I was the number one priority. I had to be good and balanced within myself because this is not acceptable that I'm crying over an email. The second priority was my children and the third priority was my business. And if things did not fit into those three areas, I wasn't doing them at the moment. So I went into creche the next day and I said, look, I'm really sorry, crying. I can't do this. And they said, no worries, we'll ask someone else. <laughs> so I think... I think you've got to, you've got to understand. Like, yeah. okay, I'm not coping here. I'm really angry. I'm re- like, what is going on for me that I have allowed? I have allowed myself to get to this stage. Nobody else is doing this. The kids aren't making mm. me angry. I'm obviously in a state within myself that's not good. It's it's making. I'm allowing myself to get angry. So recognizing, okay, well, there's a red flag here. What am I going to do differently? I'm not going to continue on like this because this is no way to be living. If I'm too busy, okay, do the kids need to stop doing some of the activities? Do I need to start, you know, say no to more, less projects at work? Do I need to outsource something? Do I need to get a cleaner? Do I need to get the groceries delivered? Do I need to get the car washed? Do I need to just let stuff go? Mm. Like if you're not coping, you're not coping, but be honest with yourself about it and what are you going to do to change it? But you have to understand what you want to feel like and how you are feeling like is not in alignment with that and use that contrast to propel you forward. I love that connection of what do you want and then I put that in and then the rest kind of go from here. That's a beautiful example of how do you kind of push back. Yeah. (laughs) How do you now say no when the requests come through? Um, In a really practical, tangible way. Yeah, so... There's a few different ways I can do it. So one of them was I nearly got it. I very, oh, so close (laughs) to getting involved with the project very recently, actually. And we had an initial meeting and then I got an email with a whole spreadsheet 
and then we had to have another conversation. It was scheduled for Thursday at nine o'clock. And I just woke up that morning and I just thought, I don't want to do this. I actually, I don't, I don't want to do it. Like, I don't want to have to rush around getting my kids sorted into bed and stuff sorted to have this call for nine o'clock. I don't want to fill in that spreadsheet. I don't want to do it. So I actually rang her that morning and I said, look, you know, thank you so much for the opportunity. I said, but I've got to be really honest with you. I can't do it at the moment. It's, I don't, I don't have the capacity and I don't have the desire. I'm very supportive of what you're doing. You know, I'd love you to keep me you know, abreast of what's actually going on, but I can't do it because I thought in the past what I've done is done these things, rocked up to that thing at nine o'clock, been resentful, not had the time. I was like, I'm already not, I'm already not doing the stuff I want to be doing on my to-do list. So why am I putting another project into that mix? You know, but to have that awareness and then to just be honest. And of course she said, that's fine. No worries. Because you've got to be honest. You've actually got to be honest. So I if, love those two things. I don't have capacity and I don't have the desire. I don't have the And capacity. it's almost like you want me to have both of those if I'm going to commit yeah, to it. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm not, I don't. So therefore I'm not doing you any favours by being part of it. And, you know, I said this could change in three or six months' time, but this is basically when I was just like, what are my priorities? My priorities. And I really want to do that. But if I'm looking at my bigger picture, it doesn't fit in mm. and I don't want to have to take on more work right now. And I think you've just touched on it. I mean, it's not um, a lack of not wanting to do it because yeah. sometimes we can be asked to do some phenomenally amazing yeah. things. There's always an opportunity. <laughs> but the timing's just not right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think um, it just people, if, you know, people are asking you to do something new clients or clients want you to do something, you need to just say, yes, I can do that, but it will be, you know, like we've got to, it's not, and it's not pushing back from a place of you're taking advantage of me. It's pushing back from a place of I want to do the best I possibly can. And the way I'm actually going to do that is this way. Or you say something's come in, right, it is very important that I do that. I now need to reprioritize my other priorities. But because we're clear on what our priorities and what we want to achieve, we have the ability to then shift things and move things around. And the other thing that I've been doing this year, which has been hugely beneficial is I've got a passion planner. I don't know if you've got a planner. I've seen those. Never had a planner before, right? I've always been like notes and then move things from other notes. It's actually very stressful, right? It's really (laughs) stressful way to operate. Like I've got the big vision and I've got a bit of a strategy to plan, (laughs) but it's just bits of paper and then I don't do stuff and I'm constantly rewriting out the list. But what I started doing was writing down my goals, you know, for the week that were in alignment with my, you know, quarterly annual goals or whatever. And so I do that on a Sunday night before the week starts. So I know what's sort of coming and I move everything from my Google calendar. It's all written down on paper and I write down what I want to achieve for the week. And of course, I'm never achieving everything I want to achieve for the week. But now I actually can go back and go, now, why didn't I do that? Was it not important? Was I just procrastinating? Did other stuff come in? Like, so I've actually, I can check in with myself about why I haven't done things and get bit more honest with myself about I'm really good at starting stuff and I'm not so good at finishing it. And that makes me feel bad. So just start finishing the stuff and then you don't feel bad. <laughs> or partner with someone who's a good finisher. <laughs> yeah, which is Lauren and I on the podcast, which is why it works so well because we've got a very good balance and we love the fact that the other person's what we're not and we're not resentful of the fact of how the work gets divvied up. It's not 50-50. It's just who's best at whatever does it and it's a wonderful way to work. Yeah, find the people around you. Yeah. Find it. But you also have to become that person for yourself too. And I think a lot of us are very good at saying, I'll just get this other person to fix it. But what we can actually do is actually look at those areas of weakness within ourselves and go, well, what am I going to do to address it so that I can become the better version of me than I am today? What's exciting you about what's next for you? Uh, Just the opportunities and the, uh, the 
ability that I have to help people because of it's like the platform or something that's been created, you know. It's actually like, and it's so fun. Like, I just love it. And even recognising that too is like with my business, I've got online business, I've an online program, but, you know, I don't really enjoy the online component of it. I like getting out there and talking to people and running workshops and facilitating and speaking and all of that stuff. So I'm just going to focus on that because that's the stuff that really brings me the great joy and that will then feed into other aspects of the business. So I think actually really feeling that allowing myself to, really play into my areas of strength and my gifts and giving myself full permission to just go there, that's what excites me because that is so inspiring for other people. And that's the community. For yeah. those listening, if you want to jump in, obviously, to tap into, we'll have all the um, links in the show notes yeah. for the Happiness Hunter. There is a community there. There are conversations that are happening. Your book Yeah, the book, The Happiness gone, Hunter's Guide to Meditation. Guide to Meditation. So that's... Very exciting. And I think too with the Happiness Hunter walks as well, you know, they're just free. They're open to everyone in the community because we all human beings having a human experience and we all have so much to learn from each other. And it's not just about women networking with women or business people networking or school mums. It's like just humanity together, you know, and I feel so excited about what um, opportunity there is for the Happiness Hunter to really have a seat at the table. You know, we're talking about social isolation by the year 2030 is going to be an epidemic in proportions in Australia. And that's really linked to people's health, mental health, physical health and wellbeing, emotional health and wellbeing. Um, You know, people don't have time to exercise. We're not communicating with each other. We don't have communities that we feel like we're part of. And actually creating something that's actually saying, here's a solution. Like we can talk about all the problems and all the statistics and stuff, but here is something that is actually helping to address some of these broader societal issues that we've got. And being part of that is so exciting. I love it. It's an amazing future ahead ahead of us and, and especially these kind of conversations. Yeah. So I want to come full circle. So the name of this podcast is called Standout Life. Yes. If I were to offer that up to you, what does it mean to you to live a standout life? I think to just be 100% honest with yourself all the time and to care about the person you are and how you're showing up in the world and how you're contributing and how you are participating and to want to be the best you can and to live the best life you can and to meet what it, however a person does that is okay. But, you know, when they're honest with their self, when they're truly being honest about who they are and how they want to be in their life and they're living that, that to me is a standout life in whatever field, endeavour they're doing. Thanks Fiona and thank you for sharing your story. Thanks for having me Ali. If you've enjoyed today's episode then there's every chance that you might also enjoy reading a copy of my book called Stand Out, a real world guide to get clear, find purpose and become the boss of busy. You can grab a copy by heading to my website www.alisonhill.com.au If you liked what you heard in this episode, I'd love it if you could take a few moments, pop over to iTunes and give this podcast a quick rating so that we can continue to share these conversations with people around the world. As always, I'm Ali Hill and this is Standout Life.